A couple weeks ago, we talked about the 21 judgments of the book of Revelation. And um, that was a pretty intense message because there are 21 judgments that are coming through, beginning in the tribulation. And um, it's all about, um, really, God's purpose in all of that is to bring redemption to mankind. Even though he pours out his wrath against sinful mankind, his purpose is to redeem as many as would receive him. That's his purpose. So today, we're going to talk about some exciting things. That wasn't so exciting, talking about the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments, because those are pretty intense. But today, we're going to be talking about probably what I would consider um, one of the most exciting books, chapters in the Bible, and that is Revelation chapter 19. So what we're going to be talking about here is that this is the beginning of the climax, if you will, of the book of Revelation. Because this is going to be talking about the second coming of Christ and how he's going to establish his earthly kingdom, which is going to reign for a thousand years. It's called the millennium. And that's coming right after the seven-year tribulation. And we'll talk about that more later as well. But I think that many people have a misunderstanding, maybe, of the book of Revelation. Many people think of it as only a book of expressing God's wrath and anger towards sinful people. It's, that it's a book of doom and gloom and, and just a, a book of destruction. And I can't minimize God's anger towards sin. I can't do that because God doesn't like sin. God hates sin, if you will. But he also has a heart of redemption for his people that would choose him, that would willingly choose him. And so today we're going to um, reveal some things more as we talk about Revelations 19 of really the love and the nature of Christ and his desire to have a relationship with us as we get into the revelation of who Jesus is as talked about in chapter 19. The first six verses of this is what we would consider the hallelujah course of the New Testament. You know, I didn't realize this until I was really studying here, but the word hallelujah is not used in the New Testament except in this chapter. It's used four times in the whole New Testament, and it's used four times in the first six verses of Revelations 19. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But then beginning at verse 7 through 10, it then that describes the church as being presented as the bride of Christ in the marriage of the Lamb. And that's an exciting thing. We like weddings, don't we? We like to celebrate the wedding ceremony of people that are in love. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about next Sunday when Christ comes back as the groom to marry his bride. What an exciting day that's going to be. Amen? This is the book of Revelation of joy. And then verses 11 through 21 of this book describe the return of Christ in his triumphal entry. And this is actually the second coming of Christ as opposed to the rapture of that Christ comes to take the church away prior to all this. But this is actually the second coming. This is the, the second phase, if you will, of the return of Christ. He comes twice. He comes to take away his church where we meet him in the air, we meet him in the clouds, and then he comes a second time when he actually puts his feet on the Mount of Olives and it splits in half and great earthquakes occur, and then that's when he culminates his 
his, his anger towards sinful man. And, and that's what verses 11 through 21 speak about. But today we're going to focus on verses 1 through 6, where John is describing the scene in heaven that's following the end of the 21 judgments that we've already talked about. And the final defeat of Satan, as described as the city of Babylon, in the previous chapter, verse 18, chapter 18. And you can go back and read that if you'd like to later. That kind of sets up verse chapter 19. But after the untold trouble that the tribulation is, has brought and how the world suffers through the great, uh, just wrath, the wrath of God and, and the anger, not only of God, but Satan as well, but there's a great wrath. And now hell, he, heaven, heaven celebrates what's been accomplished. And that's what happens now in chapter 19. So um, if you can, stand with me. If you don't, if you can't stand, that's fine. But we want to read God's word together. Revelation chapter 19, the first six verses. Beginning at verse 1, it says, After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Verse 3, And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke right from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Verse 5, then a voice came from the throne room saying, Praise our God, all you, his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder and shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Amen. Amen. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name, and we are so grateful that we get to be part of that Hallelujah course that we praise you, we call out, praise God, praise our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and hallelujah to your name. And I pray, Father, that as we go through this little teaching today, that it will help us to understand what you have in store for us. Beginning today, we don't have to wait. We can begin today to worship. And so we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So this chapter begins by celebrating the destruction of Babylon, which, is, which represents all the evil in the world. It's the evil worldly system that God has judged by his wrath, as we studied in the last couple weeks ago, and that, that three sets of seven judgments, the, the seven seal judgments, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowl judgments. These judgments are so complete that by the end of them, the world system of the Antichrist is destroyed. The nation of Israel has repented of their unbelief in Christ as the Messiah, and that remnant of the nation of Israel calls Christ the Messiah. And when that happens, that initiates the second coming of Christ. Remember, God's focus, his eye is on Israel. That's his chosen people. We're Gentile believers. We're grafted in to the family of Israel. But God's focus is on Jerusalem and on Israel. That's, his, that's his, the apple of his eye. And I'm okay with that. 
I'm not selfish. I'm not, I'm not envious of them because I know that God's love is so expanded, so, so good that it expands into all of our lives. But yet we have to always keep our eyes on Israel. And, and that's one of the major purposes of the tribulation, in fact, is that it would bring Israel to its knees where they would then surrender and say that you are the Messiah, Christ. You are the Messiah. And when that happens, that ushers in the second coming of Jesus. I think it's always important that we keep reminding ourselves that God's ultimate purpose, ultimate purpose in everything that he plans and does is all about redemption. So many times people think about God as an angry taskmaster God. Well, that's the devil's interpretation. That's what the devil wants you to think of who God is. But everything that talks about God in Scripture always reveals God to be a heavenly father that loves us, that wants to redeem us, that his whole purpose is to bring redemption to you and me. So no matter where we are in our life struggles, recognize that God loves you. Recognize that he's for you. That he wants an eternal relationship with you and with all men and women. So the time that we're describing here in this chapter is between the tribulation period, the seven or the 21 judgments of the, of, the, of the tribulation and the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. This is what bridges it together. This is what brings those two, two time periods together. And uh, the term hallelujah, as I've already indicated, is used four times. The only four times in the, in the New Testament it's used, it's used in this, this chapter. A uh, Bible scholar, Luther Pallet, appropriately calls this portion of Scripture the New Testament Hallelujah Course. And that's where I get the title from. I, I didn't make that up. I can't take credit for that. But in the context of Revelation, the term Hallelujah is a declaration and a praise of both conquest and victory. It's where God has delivered his people from their enemies. He's finally meting out his justice. We all want God's justice, don't we? At least we think we do. <laughs> Because if we really knew what God's justice was, we would maybe change the way we live. <laughs> because God is just, perfectly just, and he's going to met out his justice and, and pour it out. Then through this, God is permanently going to crush man's rebellion. There's going to be a permanent removal of all evil. And through this, God is going to display his sovereignty. Who he really is, the creator God, the all-powerful that he is, will be revealed through the book of Revelation. And beginning right now in chapter 19 is what we're talking about. So for, for all these reasons, we're invited today to join in the course of hallelujah. We're invited to be a part of that, of that great throng of people beginning today in our lives. So let's talk about this. The first verses, 1 through 3, talk about the first and second hallelujah. And we are going to see now that... Um, Prior to this in chapter 18, the scene was on earth where it was describing the destruction of Babylon and the worldly system of evil. Now the scene changes to a heavenly scene. Now John, is his eyes are being opened up to what's happening in heaven. So this is what we're going to be now as we read the first three verses here. Revelation 19, the first um, and second hallelujah are, revel are talked about here. Revelation chapter 19 verse 1. It says, After this I heard what sounded like the roar 
of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. So the first question I have is, who are these people? Who are these people, and, and why are they celebrating with such exuberance? Well, we have to look back into Revelation. These people are the same ones that were mentioned previously in Revelation chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 9 through 10, the revelator says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding a palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. These people are those that were persecuted and martyred by the Antichrist during the tribulation. These are the tribulation saints. So it's easy to see why they're celebrating their victory because they've been mistreated, persecuted, and abused to the point of being martyred and many of them beheaded by the Antichrist. So God is being praised because of his salvation towards them and therefore he deserves all the glory and the power alone over all the world has to offer. That worldly system that failed them completely, God then restores. Evil in every form of corruption has been destroyed, uncovered, and, and, and shown for what it was, for what it is. So what John is describing here are the voices of the redeemed. And it says that it sounded like a, a roar of a great multitude. Well, what's the great multitude? It, it wasn't what they were saying. It's, it's basically the vast number of people because of this large multitude of people that are crying out, hallelujah. You know what this says? It says there's going to be a great revival in the tribulation. There's going to be a great turning to God in the tribulation so that numbers beyond our ability to understand are going to come to him, but they're going to come to him out of great duress and distress. We serve Jesus today, and we have the fulfillment of life. We have a joy and a peace that we can live with because we have a relationship with the Father that, and a promise and the great hope that we're going to escape the tribulation time. That's called the, ra the rapture, and we can escape that which is coming because he's not going to make his bride go through that wrath. But those that don't receive Christ today, they're going to go through a great wrath, a great tribulation, and many, many, many will find Christ in that time, but they're going to find him and then probably we'll have to die for him. That doesn't sound very exciting to me. <laughs> I would much rather live today with a peace in my heart and a joy that I know that I have Jesus that's going to be my Redeemer, my Savior. But there's yet there's great hope. And because of this great number, they're rejoicing over Babylon being defeated and they are now being avenged. I think we can only have a small appreciation for what that's really going to be like. I, I know that many in this world have been and are being tormented. I know that persecution 
is great around this world. We in America have not seen it yet, and I pray we never do, but we may. But I know of people, you know of people that are, are going under, undergoing great tribulation already in this world, great persecution already in this world. Thank the Lord he spared us from that. But what we should be doing, though, are be, is looking for ways to help those that are going through tribulation wherever they are. You know, I really appreciate the relationship that we have, this church has, with Joshua, Yedekula. I can't say his last name. He's an Indian pastor, and we've been supporting his ministry here over the, over the years, a couple of years, actually. They're going through some great tribulation right now. There's been some great flooding in India. And, uh, in fact, we need to help him some more. We need to send a little bit more money his way because they're, they're, coming, they're, they're trying to reach out to the people that are really suffering there. And so we need to do what we can. And really, what we do is mainly through our pocketbook, unless we have the ability to travel. But we need to support those that are going through great tribulation already. So when God finally defeats this great prostitute or harlot of Babylon, and he avenges the innocent blood that, that this system has shed on the multitudes that are already in heaven, the only words... The only words that they can come up with that are appropriate is hallelujah, praise the Lord. This is where the hallelujah course comes in. And it says in verse 3, and again they shouted hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And I find it interesting that, that John talks about this eternal smoking fire. Now what is that? What is that? What does it mean when he says that the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The smoke is the fact that Babylon has been destroyed. And, and it's, but what is this forever smoke thing going on? And I think that the way we have to really understand this is this is not a literal fire burning, but there's a spiritual connotation to it. And to properly understand that, we need to go back to the fifth seal of Revelation. Re- Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, talks about the fifth seal that was broken Let's read this. And it says, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. They were told that God would avenge them, but they had to be patient. Patience is difficult for us. Imagine how patient, how difficult it was for them. But God said, be patient until the full number of those that are going to be martyred are martyred and they would be with them. So we're beginning to see the answer to their cry here. Their answer to their cry is that they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. They are celebrating the fact that the system that killed them is destroyed. And what this, and the significance of the, the foreverness of the smoke here is that the smoke rises forever as an indicator that never again will this system be able to torment them. Never again will they be tormented by evil. That evil is going to be destroyed and the smoke rising forever and ever is that it, it, it proves to them that there never again will be a false teaching. 
Never again will there be an evil and of worldly philosophies that would be able to deceive them. That injustice and unrighteousness has been set right. And all of human depravity will finally be vanquished. I mean, that's worth celebrating. That's worth saying hallelujah, praise the Lord, that all evil has been finally destroyed. We live in an evil world, folks, don't we? We live in it. We know what it's like. But there's coming a day when it will be vanquished. It brings us to the third hallelujah. Verse 4, the third response of worship comes from a different group of heavenly beings now. And it's important that we recognize that there's a change happening now. And this will help us to understand that the church is not present on earth during the tribulation. Because what we're going to see now is that the worshipers in heaven are clearly indicating that they are part of the church. Revelations chapter 19, verse 4. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they, and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. The 24 elders were first introduced in chapter 4 of Revelation. So turn to chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Surrounding the throne were 24 elders other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. The 24 elders were dressed in white is a key point. When we see references of white garments or robes, typically it's indicating that those that are wearing them are redeemed people. They're not angels. They're redeemed people. They're wearing white robes, and white robes indicate that they've been redeemed. It indicates that the blood of Christ has been poured out in their lives. So these 24 elders are wearing white robes, and they have crowns of gold on their head, that crowns of victors on their heads. So who are they, and when did they get to heaven? If they're already in heaven here in Revelation 19, how did they get there, when did they get there, and who are they? Well, these 24 elders are more than likely comprised of two groups of 12. The 12 disciples and 12 Old Testament prophets. These are men. These are people. These aren't angels. The 24 elders are men that have been redeemed and are in heaven. And, they got it, and they're already in heaven because they've already been translated. They've been brought to heaven through the rapture of the church. And they would represent that the church has already been redeemed as well and there are already others with them in heaven. So again, I mean, I know there's been lots of conversation and discussions about when does the rapture happen? Is it a pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath trib, whatever? I believe, we believe as the assemblies of God that it, we are a pre-trib rapture, that the, rap, the church will be raptured, taken out of this world prior to the tribulation. And I think that there's texts here that continue to show us that. The fact that this group of worshipers here are, are being mentioned separately and that their worship is different from the vast multitude that are already in mentioned indicates that they've been there differently. They got there in a different way. The ones that were praising hallelujah and the martyred ones were not part of the church. They were those that were killed after the church would been had been raptured. And they're the tribulation saints, and that's why they're crying out the way they're crying out, where, where the, 12, um, the 24 elders 
and the, the four um, living creatures are crying out a different cry of worship. It's a different way of crying out to God. Who are the living, four living creatures? Well, the four living creatures are the heavenly cherubim, and they were also described in Revelation chapter 4. Let's, let's read that. Let's go back and understand who they are. The four living creatures are, they, they say they, it's indicated that they are in the center, according to verse 4, verses 6 through 8, chapter 4, 6 through 8, around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I find it interesting that it's clearly there's a difference here between the 24 elders and the four living creatures. The four living creatures are anything but human. <laughs> I mean, that description of, I mean, covered with eyes and, and having multiple wings, and I mean, that's not human. We don't see that. If we did, it would probably freak us out, right? That's just not what we see on earth. So it's clearly two different groups of worshipers that are already in heaven. One is elders representing the church, and the others are truly angelic beings representing the angels of heaven, and they're all worshiping God. Heaven is a place of worship. Heaven is a place of worship. While everything else is going crazy on earth, while all the, the, the tribulation bowls and judgments are being poured out on earth, heaven is in a state of full-scale worship. I love that. I love that because they are worshiping the God who is, who is in control of all things. God is not taken back by any of this. So what is the fourth hallelujah? The fourth hallelujah is given in Revelations chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. It says, Then a voice came from heaven, from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. I think it's obvious now why this is called the Hallelujah Chorus of the New Testament. John now hears another voice from heaven, probably an angel, calling, listen, all of God's servants now, great and small, to worship. This includes the church, that's there, and the tribulation saints to take their place in heavenly worship. This group is so vast, they're without number. This is the entire sum of the redeemed that are to worship God, and, and there is only being described as something that we've never heard on earth. I mean, he describes it as a great multitude, like, like the roar of rushing waters and the loud peals of thunder. How many here have been to Niagara Falls? How many have taken that little boat ride down close to the falls? How loud is it down there? I mean, think of the, I mean, there's no other way to describe a continuous noise than Niagara Falls, rushing waters. 
And then there's the great peals of thunder. How many like a good thunderstorm? Jackie? No. <laughs> I love a good crack of thunder. You know, when you've been close to a lightning strike, I've been on a, I was on a golf course one time down in the Detroit area, and, and a lightning storm came in real fast, and we're rushing back to the clubhouse, and there's big trees all around, and we're on a golf cart running you know, as quick as we can, and lightning hit a tree right next to the golf cart, and you've got you to talk about scaring you, loud. Man, it was unbelievable. The, the crash, the lightning, and here's, here's what, this, how, this is how it's being described in heaven, that the sound is going to be like a rushing Niagara Falls and great peals of thunder, the loudest cracks we can ever imagine. And these people are shouting, hallelujah. And notice that they're not, the, the word is that they're shouting and not shouted. Shouted would indicate they said at one time. Shouting means that they're continuing to shout it. It's an ongoing praise worship in heaven that's saying hallelujah. There is a command here that by saying shouting, not shouted, there's a command to keep on praising the Lord. It's not a one-time deal. It's not a one-time saved and then live the way you want to live. No, it is a continuous process of choosing to worship the God in your life every day by your actions, by shouting every day hallelujah, by the way you live every day you're expressing who you are to others. You're being that example, that witness, that testimony by the, the life of your living. It's a continuous process. This is why it's all about relationship. This is all about relationship. That's why I love the song we sang earlier. Break down the walls of all my tradition. Shake up the grounds of my religion. You've got, there's a better way. God has a better way, and it's all about relationship. And this relationship is all about our choices today. Pastor Rip, I think you were right on when you asked, are you saved? Are you saved? Because it's all about your choice to receive or not receive Christ. This is not a knowledge-based salvation. It's a relationship-based salvation. And why I say it's not knowledge-based? Because it says in the book of James as well, even the devil knows who Christ is, and they shudder. They're afraid to death of who he is, but they have no relationship with him. So it's not just knowing about God. It's about having a relationship with him. And that's where our choice comes into the matter. Jackie, would you come, please? The celebration that's happening today in heaven by those that are already there. And, for, and there is a celebration today. For all those that have preceded us in death, there is a great celebration happening. But that's not going to even compare to what the great celebration that's coming as we've described it in this hallelujah course in chapter 19. Could, because we're then going to be with them there presently. But we can be present today in our worship. We can be present today. We can join the, the angels in heaven. We can join those that have already preceded us in heaven. We can join Bonnie Elzinga, who we celebrated yesterday in a funeral here in this church. We can join those that have preceded us because they're already worshiping. So here's a question that I have. Do you want to experience a hope and a promise of joy unspeakable? that we cannot even begin to describe that never ends. That never ends. We can't even begin to imagine something that never ends. 
You see, everything, every good thing in our life today has an end. Good and bad. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that the bad has an end. But even the good things, a good vacation has an end. <laughs> a good vacation says you still got to go home and go to work tomorrow. <laughs> you know, a good day on the boat has an end. A good round of golf has an end. A good day fishing has an end. A good day hunting has an end. A good book. I hate it when I get to, I find a really good book and it ends. And then I'm left, now what do I read? <laughs> I, I was enjoying that book so well and so much, and now that it ended, I'm left with a sense of, oh, now what do I do, right? Even a good day of productive work has an end. Jerry, you get that tile job done and it ends. You get that sense of accomplishment, but yet now you enjoyed that. It was a part of your creation. You're creative. Everything ends. But what John, John is describing here in this chapter is never going to end. There's going to be an eternal worship service in the good sense. And I know that a lot of people say they think heaven is going to be boring because they think it's going to be an eternal church service. Well, I'm just telling you, first of all, it's not going to be an eternal church service. And even if it was, you wouldn't be bored. If this is boring to you today, that's an indicator maybe that maybe you love this world a little bit too much. If this is boring, if coming into a worship service, if, if, if understanding, if reading, if research, if reading the Bible, if being taught, if it's boring to you, then check your priorities because maybe something's not right. We have to understand that the most important thing of this book is that it ends well for those that use the days that we have to prepare for it. That little slogan on our church sign, God gives us today to prepare us for tomorrow. Take it wisely. It's not just a little slogan. It's truth. God gives us today to prepare for tomorrow. And how do we do that? By having a relationship with Jesus. By having a relationship with the Father. And that's why I believe it's important that we study the book of Revelation. I don't think we need to avoid this book. I think this book has too many good things to reveal to us the nature of Christ. In fact, we're promised in the first verse or first two verses in the, of Revelation chapter 1 that for those that read this book, you'll be blessed. There's a blessing for those that read and study the book of Revelation. We're also giving a warning at the end of the book that says if anyone adds to it or takes away from it, that all the curses of this book will be applied to their life. So we have to discern it wisely. We have to study it with truth, but we have to study it. Like I said at the beginning, everything God does is all about redemption. That's where we're at today. Do you want the redemptive power of Christ in your life? It's a choice. We make it every day, don't we? Whether you've been saved a week or all your life that you can remember. Every day is a new day. Every day I wake up in the morning with a new commitment to my life for Christ. Because I'm not perfect. I, I make mistakes and so do you. But it's God's grace that forgives us over and over again as I ask Him to. As I come to Him on a daily repentance and say, Father, please forgive me. I, I didn't mean to do that. I slipped. I fell. I did whatever. 
His grace is sufficient for those that have a desire to worship Him. Not to ignore Him, but to worship Him. And that's where we're at today. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for all that you've done for us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for the great promises that you have in store for us. I thank you mostly, Father, that you sent your Son and that, Jesus, you willingly came to earth to pay our price of sin. You paid the penalty. And it's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that I can have a relationship with the Father. It's not by my good works. It's not by anything I've done, not by my my good deeds. It's by the shed blood of Christ. And I come to you this morning, and I ask you one more time to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me over and over again. I repent on a regular basis, knowing that you are there to receive and to forgive. So this morning, as we prepare for communion this morning, this is a great opportunity for you to examine your life, examine your your heart, If you need to ask Jesus to forgive you, just do it. Just say, Father, forgive me. I've made mistakes. I'm not perfect. But I choose you. I choose you this morning. And I surrender to you today. And I submit my life to you. I want a new start. I want a new beginning. I want a new life. The only way way I'm going to get it is through Jesus Christ.
Father, we just love you this morning, and we're so thankful, God, that we have this relationship. And so now we invite you to go with us throughout this week as we go to our homes. We don't leave that relationship here. We take it with us. We put you on as our Savior and as our Redeemer, and we just live for you this week, looking forward to the time that we get together again. And maybe it's going to be together in the heaven. But God, wherever it is, it's going to be with you. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take some time in fellowship today with those before you go home today.